Well, tonight it's our privilege to have Brandon Gomar with us, and he's going to be bringing our message. And I just want to tell you a little bit about Brandon. Uh, Brandon's been working with us this summer. He's been involved in a lot of different areas. This morning he taught Carlos, Pastor Carlos' Sunday school class. Uh, he's helped me with a wedding. He went down to Grace Point South and, and helped me put up some ceiling tiles in the gym and, and uh, has helped with the funerals and has been involved in calling, hospital calling and helping us out with our uh, uh, Dare to Care preparations for that every week. And, and there's a lot, just a lot of different areas of ministry that he's been plugging into. Uh, he's a student at Olivet Nazarene University. He's a junior. And uh, Brandon, it's great to have you here. And uh, he'll... How many times have you preached before, Brandon? Don't remember. Okay. So more than once? Yeah. Okay. You're better off than I was <laughs> at your age. And, uh, you know, I, um, Daniel Holloway's here. And, Daniel, your father is one of those guys that I love it when he's in a service because he sits on the edge of a seat, and whether he's paying attention or not, he's with me. <laughs> and, and, you know, as a preacher, that encourages you on. And it helps you be a better preacher when your congregation is right there with you. And um, so would you do that for Brandon tonight? Stay with him. Help him. Encourage him on. Cheer him on as he delivers the word of God. And Brandon, may the Lord bless you as you preach the word tonight. Thank you, Pastor Rex. Good evening. 78% of the people in the United States today claim to be Christian. They identify themselves as being some part of Christianity, and that can be any sort, whether it's Catholic, Protestant, non-denominational, the Orthodox Christian Church, and my personal favorite, the Church of the Nazarene. But the main point is that over three-fourths of the people in the United States today connect their lives and their names with the name of Jesus Christ. But looking at our country today, this could hardly seem to be the case, right? I have just a few statistics that I'd like to share with you guys tonight to prove my point. Oh, and contrary to popular belief, 63.2% of statistics are not made up on the spot. First, there are around 2 million or so people currently in jail in the United States. A couple years ago, in 2007... There are approximately 7 million people that were either in jail, on probation, or on parole. Second, about 28% of the women in the United States have had an abortion. It is estimated that at the continuing rates, one-third of the women in our country will have an abortion in her lifetime. And another statistic that I'm sure you're all familiar with is that 50% of marriages in our nation, and in divorce. And the divorce rate is the same for Christians as it is for non-Christians. And upon my research for this message, I came across this article that was rather interesting. It was entitled, Lying Not Bad When It Comes to Dating, Survey Says. 50% of people in America have reportedly told a lie to get out of a date. And I just hope and pray to God that I'm just not one of those poor guys who's been lied to so that a girl can get out of a date with me. I, I just don't think I'm that bad looking, but I don't know. But this report just shows how many people in our country today justify their lying and their immortal, immoral actions for their own personal benefit. 
clearly many people in the United States today claim to be Christians, but do not live lives that reflect the Spirit of God in our world. 78% of people claim to be Christian, but by looking around our nation, by listening to the radio, watching TV, looking at what's going on in politics, and even in the world of sports, we see that God-likeness is not a popular characteristic of our nation. A similar problem existed nearly 2,000 years ago. The book of James addresses some people that claim to be Christian, but their lives didn't necessarily live up to what they were called to. Our text for this evening is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, or through 26 rather. You can either follow along up on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bible. My personal recommendation is that you open up your Bible, because I'm going to be going back and forth quite a bit in the text. So James chapter 2, I don't know if we have that or not. Awesome. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. When you read the book of James, you may notice that James has essentially two very different definitions of faith. Although his first definition of faith is very easy to see, the other one is rather hard to notice in the text. But if you, if you study and you understand what James is saying thoroughly, you understand what James is communicating and what true faith really is. The first type of faith that James discusses in this passage is an intellectual belief. In essence, it is what you believe. Often today, people use the word faith and religion interchangeably. Someone may say to you, what religion are you? Or, what faith are you? Someone may respond, oh, my faith is Christian. Or, my faith is that of Buddhism or Islam. Or many of the other religions that people practice today. Essentially, though, 
what James is saying for this first type of faith is what you believe. In James 2.14, we see that James is talking about this immediately. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? A man claims to have faith. A man says, I believe in Jesus Christ. You know, I believe in God the Father and the Holy Spirit. A man is expressing what he believes, what he agrees with. The second type of faith, which upon reading James, is very difficult to see. But James truly argues for this in his passage right here. This type of faith not only believes stuff about Jesus, but that faith leads us to action. What we know and what we agree with leads us to act. In short, true faith is not just intellectual. True faith is about how we live. Not too far into this passage, we notice that an imaginary opponent comes up. Someone tries to argue with James about what he's saying. If you look in verse 2, chapter 18, chapter 2, verse 18, excuse me, someone says, You have faith, I have deeds. This person is trying to argue that faith or works are two different things. If you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, you may notice that he often speaks about spiritual gifts. He lists such spiritual gifts as hospitality, encouraging, speaking in tongues, leadership. In essence, this person is arguing that faith and deeds are kind of like two different spiritual gifts. God allows some people to have great belief in him, to have faith in him, while God calls some other people to work for God in his kingdom. But James comes out and he just dismisses this argument. He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. James says that faith is expressed in what we do. Going into the next verse, we see James continuing his argument that faith is more than just what we believe. Verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. If you read the Gospels, you'll see multiple stories where Jesus encounters people who are demon-possessed. And oftentimes, these demons cry out that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, and they cry for Jesus to get away from them because they know how powerful he is. James is saying here that even the demons, the very workers of Satan, acknowledge who Jesus is, who God is. The demons know all the orthodox beliefs. If you gave the demons theology test, they would probably get a passing grade. What James is saying here is that we are no better than the very workers of Satan himself if we do not live out our lives with what we know about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We are no better than the workers of Satan. With how the Greek is in this verse, it could also be seen in a different way. It could also be read, you believe that God is one. Many biblical scholars believe that the way this verse is written is that this is a reference to the Shema. For those of you who don't know, the Shema is an ancient Jewish prayer that comes from the Old Testament. It begins with, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This prayer was practiced throughout many generations, and the Pharisees at the time of Jesus would recite this prayer multiple times a day. But we notice at the very beginning of this famous Jewish prayer is a declaration about what the Jewish people believe. They're saying that God, Yahweh, is the one true God, and that He is God alone and no one else. Any Jew who hear that would probably fire out a righteous amen and agree to that. No problem. But the main point of the Shema was not to just state what the Jews believed about God. No. If you continue to read the Shema, you notice that it calls us to action. Immediately after the first line, the next phrase is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It calls us to love Yahweh. And if you read on, it talks about how God's children are to talk about God and they're to meditate on his law day and night and we are to obey God's commands. Indeed, the very point of the Shema was not just the creed to say what the Jews believe. It's not just to say that God is one. It is to say that we are to follow Yahweh, God, and to obey him and to live our lives with him. This problem of people claiming to believe in Jesus Christ or claiming to believe in something but not living out in their lives is not just an isolated problem. Besides our nation today and James Day long ago, we notice that this is a rather universal problem. Even the great preacher of the gospel, Charles Spurgeon, knows this, or rather knew this. He's not alive anymore, unfortunately. But in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon found out that 98% of the people he talked to, even the criminals that he talked to in jail, said that the Bible was true, said that the Bible was God's word. But the vast majority of those people who claim to believe in the Bible and that acknowledge its truth did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. For them, the word believe was not an active verb. To reiterate, True faith is not just intellectual. It's not just what we believe. It's not just acknowledging that Jesus is God's Son and that He rose from the dead. It's more. True faith needs to be incorporated into our lives. Within this discussion, throughout the ages, there has been a lot of argument. And some of you in the back of your minds today may be wondering, well, are we saved by faith? Isn't God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ what saves us? Doesn't Paul say that we're saved by grace through faith? And isn't that one of the main reasons that the Protestant church broke away from the Catholic church? Because the Catholic church had such a heavy dependence on works for salvation rather than faith in Jesus Christ alone? Well, it's a good question, and I think we should look at it. Within that argument, many have pointed to the Apostle James and the Apostle Paul. Many read the book of James, and they see that he's very consumed with the idea of works by Christians. And many people claim that James is often a legalist, and that many people say that James connects works with salvation. But then many other people look at the Apostle Paul and say, oh, he has it right, because he often talks about how we're saved by grace through faith alone. 
and they put up these two against each other like they're in a boxing match. If you read various letters by Paul and letter by James on the surface, it may seem that way, that James is all about works and Paul is all about the faith. James 2.24, which we read earlier, says, You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. But then we read some of Paul's letters, such as Romans 3.28, where it says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. By faith apart from observing the law. No mention of works there. Or Galatians 2, 15-16, which says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we would be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Contrary to the fact that Paul and James are in a metaphorical boxing match, I believe wholeheartedly that if James and Paul were here today in this room with us and they sat down and had a discussion, that they would eventually conclude, yeah, we believe the same thing about faith and works. You see, we need to understand that in the majority of Paul's letters, he's writing to Jewish Christians, Jews who came to faith in Christ and became Christians. However, when these Jews became Christians, they carried the baggage over from their Judaistic roots. As many of you know, the Jews are commanded to obey all the regulations that Yahweh, God, has laid out in the Old Testament. And there's various regulations, stuff about dietary regulations, rules about the Sabbath, what you're supposed to do when you offer sacrifices. And so many of the people that Paul wrote to still thought that you had to follow these rules in order to be saved. And so, when we, and so when we read verses, such as Paul, when he says that we're justified by faith, apart from observing the law, he is not dismissing good works, saying that we don't have to have good works or good deeds for our faith. What he's saying is that stuff from the Old Testament that we once had to follow, such as circumcision and not eating pigs, it's okay to do now. And additionally, we need to understand that when we read Paul's letters and James' letter, when they say the word faith, they have in mind two, diff- two different things. When James says the word faith, simply what he means is what you believe. Man claims to have faith. A man just says he believes in what Christianity believes. But for Paul, it was more than that. You see, when Paul spoke about faith, he assumed that the idea of good works would be incorporated into that. Many of you have probably heard about Paul's dramatic conversion on his road to Damascus. He was off to persecute Christians for their faith in Christ. But then Jesus comes to him miraculously, and from that his life has changed. And in Paul's mind, the thought that one could believe in Jesus Christ and to believe that he has died for our sins and then not go out and do good deeds, and to not give to the poor, and to not help the needy, to have faith in Jesus Christ, but to not do that is ludicrous. And so when James says faith, he assumes that we're going to go out in the world, and we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, and to work for Jesus Christ. 
And if you read Paul's letters, you'll notice that Paul often commands us to go out and live lives of servanthood and to work for God. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And Paul also wrote, The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. I just I love that verse. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. And Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To put it straight, my brothers and sisters, we are not saved by deeds. We are saved for deeds. Thankfully, James goes ahead and he gives us multiple examples of how our faith and actions are supposed to work together. We first read the story of Abraham. Abraham was called by God in a miraculous way. He was a pagan man living in a pagan world where God came to him. And God gave him an extraordinary promise for his life that he was going to multiply his descendants and that his family members would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. But then later on, after Abraham finally has a son, being a hundred years old, God calls Abraham to sacrifice the son Isaac on the altar. Now James says that Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did. He was considered righteous by God because he was willing to go and sacrifice Isaac. Now let's just step into the imaginary situation where we have Abraham... And God tells him, hey, I want you to go and sacrifice your son Isaac. What if Abraham had said, you know, God, I thoroughly believe in you, and I thoroughly believe all that you promised to do in my life, and how you're going to make my family to be the greatest family on the face of the planet. But, you know, this whole sacrificing my son thing, you know, it ain't going to cut it. I ain't down with that. I don't think God at that time would consider Abraham righteous. But James tells us that Abraham was considered righteous because of what he did. And we also hear the story of Rahab from James. For those of you who don't know, Rahab was a prostitute that lived in the city of Jericho. And God's people, the Israelites, were marching through the desert on their conquest to the promised land where they came to the city of Jericho. And God wanted the people of Israel to go and take out Israel, or to take out Jericho. So the Israelites sent spies into the city to scope it out. But then they encountered this prostitute Rahab. And Rahab had heard about God and what he had done with the Israelites. And so, because of what she knew, she was willing to hide the spies and to send them off safely, and so that the people of Jericho would not kill the spies. But once again, let's step into the imaginary situation. The Israelite spies go to Rahab. And Rahab says, you know, I've heard all about what your God has done, how he sent all the plagues on Egypt and how he knocked out all the Egyptians because they weren't very nice to you. And I've heard how he's helped you guys through the desert and he's promised you this land of milk and honey. But, you know, I just don't want to risk my life, you know. I don't think it's worth it to put you guys up and hide you guys. Once again, 
God would not consider Rahab righteous if she were not willing to live out what she believed about God. For Rahab, what she knew about God led her to action. Our world today is faced with a pandemic of generic Christianity. People care the name of Christ, but they're often indifferent to the idea of living out their lives for him. Such generic Christianity is very dangerous. If we claim to be Christian, if we claim to believe that Jesus is God's son and that he died for our sins, but we don't seek to be like Christ, but we don't offer any part of our lives to him, I believe our salvation's in danger. James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? That last question that James asked there, can such faith save him? James wrote the Greek word may. And for those of you who aren't biblical scholars, that indicates a negative sentence. Basically, the sentence should be read, such faith cannot save him. So my challenge to you tonight is to let Christ live in you and through you. If you realize that you've been neglecting to let Christ truly shine in you, if you've been separating your life, saving just this Christianity stuff for Sunday morning, and saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but that's enough for me, I don't want to do anything, we need to get beyond that. God calls us to live lives with him and for him. The challenge here is not figuring out what we should do. We usually know the right thing to do in a situation. Additionally, the Bible is chock full of commands that tells us what God wants us to do. And oftentimes the complaint about Christianity is that there are too many rules. So in my opinion, the idea that someone doesn't know what to do, and that's why they don't want to follow God, is not the best excuse. But the difficult thing for us to do as Christians, is to make the decision that I will live for Christ, that I will let Christ live in my life and through my life. The difficult thing is to let your faith, what you believe, and your actions work together. Remember, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Right now, the worship team's going to come up and we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing, Take My Life and Let It Be, Consecrated Lord to Thee. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we are called to live for Him. So during this time, if you feel the need to pray, the altars are open. God doesn't want to seek to condemn you here, but to restore you and to ask you to live for Him.
city on a hill cannot be hidden. If we claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, but do not let our lives reflect that belief, we're destroying God's kingdom, we're destroying the church, and we're destroying ourselves. Go this evening and be the light that God wants you to be. You're dismissed.